Hello and welcome to Publish Me, a podcast series from AS21 Publishing about the independent publishing process with the book The Will of the Magi by Paul Dickinson Russell. I'm your host, Keith F. Shovlin, publisher and chief creative of AS21 Publishing, and joining me as always is... Paul Dickinson Russell, author and your journey master on this wonderful little escapade we are going on today. <laughs> well, this is the June 2015 edition of the podcast, and this is the chapter three of the process where we'll be discussing the setting of uh, Paul's story, The Will of the Magi. Now, first, before we get into any of the larger stuff, we'll get an update on the writing process from Paul. All right, thank you very much. So, the writing process has been going along a little bit faster this past month. Uh, I've gotten a few thousand more words written. Just a little bit more here and there, hammering out some more details. Uh, most of that has been splicing into previous written scenes, or uh, two of them are actually um, scenes that I will be adding in at a later date in the storyline that are geared more towards uh, certain religious celebrations that I am putting together for... Um, the main society that my character is dealing with uh, at this time in the storyline. So that's where my past month has gone with the story. It's quite fun for me since, especially when I'm coming up with the those religious scenes, there's so many small details that I have to keep in mind for various icons that are going to be in the story and what their specific meaning is for each of the deities that I am working with, the various term, uh, blasphemous terms, heretical terms that some people might see for them, since there are going to be different kinds of sects that you will be dealing with in the main human kingdom, uh, just within the capital itself, and you know the the various offshoot branches that always occur when you have a religion spread out over a very large territory and very limited communication between the centers of the religion and the outskirts of it. All right, thank you. About how many words would you say you're up to now? Right now, I'm going to estimate somewhere around 60, 65-ish. I don't have my numbers right in front of me right now, and for those of you who have written anything, you know how many icons you can get on your laptop to pull something up. So just trying to pull it up right now might be a little difficult. So I'm going to estimate between sixty and 65,000 right now. That's fine. Thank you. That's, that's quite, quite a length at this point. Uh, the average, I, the minimum to be called a novel is 40,000. So the average novel, just basic story, is anywhere from 40 to 60,000. But when you start getting into fantasy works, obviously they're much longer, much more involved. Your Tolkien, your C.S. Lewis, your uh, J.K. Rowling, they all get to be quite lengthy. So 60,000 is really a drop in the bucket when it comes to most works in the fantasy genre. Absolutely, absolutely. So just a couple of things for following up from last month. So last month we gave a shout-out to two new... Twitter followers, and of course, in the wonderful way Twitter goes, one of the followers unfollowed us 
in the time between us recording the episode and the episode posting, which really wasn't that long of an amount of time, but it was long enough for uh, the one follower to drop. And I went ahead and, of course, posted the episode with us giving the shout-out to them and mentioning them online, and they were very happy with, they favorited and retweeted the, the messages, but then uh, they didn't come back to following us again. <laughs> but uh, one thing that was nice this past month is with every episode we post, we are, of course, hosted by Podomatic. They give us a ranking of where we stand, both in terms of all of the podcasts they host and literature podcasts. And we actually hit a new high last month. A whole week after the podcast came out, we jumped up to number 63 among literature podcasts, which is, I mean, not great, but it's a, it's a good start. We, the first week, the very first episode hit number 85. And so we've been typically in the 80s for the past couple of months, but hitting up to 63 is a good jump this, this past month. Hopefully we'll go even higher. Now, we have three new Twitter followers this month. Of course, even with uh, getting three new ones, we still haven't hit 25 yet. But uh, we want to thank uh, Billionaire PR Girl, Jason Burroughs, and I know this isn't the real one, but it's obviously someone who's a big fan, W.B. Yates, or you know, <laughs> for poet William Butler Yates. <laughs> I know the reasoning we got to follow from W.B. Yates is... Our partner podcast, Romeus 21, the poetry podcast series Passion on the Page, its most recent episode was actually mine. I read a poem that inspired me, and that is Song of the Wandering Angus by William Butler Yeats. When that episode got posted, of course, as that, that podcast gets posted, we share it as you know, part of the partnership in our podcast series. So because it was a Yeats poem, the Yeats Twitter feed followed both the Ace 21 Twitter feed, our Twitter feed, and my personal Twitter feed. So one person follows, you know, three new follows across the the feed. So that's nice. Uh, let's see how long they stick around. So we're currently standing at 23 Twitter followers. And on Facebook, I believe we're still at about 107. I believe you are right. 108. 108 likes. There we go. Yeah. And Our numbers are increasing. Yes. Look, just looking it up on my phone on the, the Pages app, it just, it gives me that. It, it's been more than a week since we've gone up to 108, so, but we're at 108, so that's great. And uh, the more people we reach out, the better. And of course, since last month, we also have a couple changes. We have a new webpage. Uh, we're still at if you go to media.as21.com, you now have the new media section on the brand new as21.com website uh, that's brought to you a page we're calling The Hub. And on that page, you have a link to our podcast, as well as a separate page for the Passion on the Page podcast series for the AS21 Annual, the AS21 Literary Magazine, and the web video series, Creative Speaking, which is an author interview series. So now uh, the purpose of this month's episode is we are going to be talking about the setting of Paul's fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi. If this is your first time listening to us, I urge you to go back and listen to past episodes. In chapter one, he d 
gave us an overview of the characters, at least the characters he had written up to that point. And in Chapter 2, last month, we dealt with the rules of his magical world, how the magic is centered and used and powered. And So now, for this month, we're going to be talking about setting. Before I get into that, I do want to say one more thing about the mechanics of the podcast here. Now that we've been doing this for a few months, we've talked before about sponsors. We even had a sort of sponsorship message a few months back where, you know, we just stopped in the middle and there was an ad for one of AS21's new releases. As of, if not the day that this episode posted, within a week, the full sponsorship rates will be available on the webpage for this podcast. So you can just go and see what the rates are and... Uh, we're looking for sponsors that sort of fit what we're talking about here. So I, they're obviously, if you're an, a fantasy author yourself and you you published and you want to promote your book, we could do that. Any ancillary businesses like the new ace21.com website is run through Squarespace. So if Squarespace would like to sponsor us, I'd be more than happy to work with them and I know that they, they have done a lot of sponsorship with podcasts such as Stuff You Should Know and The Nerdist and Aisha Tyler's Girl on Guy. And if they want to throw some support our way, our rates are much more reasonable than theirs. But then, of course, they're getting millions of downloads and listens. We're not anywhere close to that yet. But yet. We will, though. We yes, will be. We will be. So, yeah, so check that out, uh, media.as21.com. Click on the link for the Publish Me podcast. You'll see our page there. List of all our past episodes. How to get in contact with us, which is, of course, on Twitter at Publish Podcast. Facebook.com slash Publish Podcast. And then you could just otherwise contact AS21 at pub at AS21.com. If you would like to advertise with us, send me an email and uh, we'll talk and discuss terms and go from there. Okay, so now that I've gotten through all that gobbledygook, now back to Paul to discuss the setting of the Will of the Magi. Thank you very much, Keith. So, my setting of my story is in the predominant human, human kingdom that my character was born in, but for the most part, as my story progresses, my character will be doing a lot of traveling some of which he will quite literally physically be traveling. Another very good portion of it will be through forms of magic that he is using and adapting to other various purposes. So my storyline will actually be transcontinental, basically, for my storyline. He'll be traveling across the width and breadth of the empire. He is a part of the kingdom he's a part of, which, if... A reader is interested in just like something that can explain the relative size of how large this kingdom empire is. Moderately speaking, it's larger than the United States territorially, but a little bit smaller than Russia. So it's a very, very large kingdom territory empire. The name of it historically in my setting will change um, depending on how strong or how weak the ruling dynasty is. At the time that my story is currently taking place, the dynasty is actually exceptionally strong, so it is viewed as an empire. 
but it is uh, in a much more of a temperate environment. There's much more uh, forests, plains. There are a few mountains um, in there. Uh, there is a an ocean to the south of the to the southern territory, along with some desert territory as well to the south. Their northern territory is bordered by a very heavy mountain range, which you will find some of the other races inhabiting, mainly the dwarves that take place in my story, along with a group of elves as well, uh, whose presence actually will be quite amusing for those of you who follow more traditional elf-dwarf-human interrelations mingling. Uh, there is also, as the mountain range dwindles off and gets smaller, there is another great forest, which another group of elves live in. There are small mountain ranges, large hill ranges, all throughout the territory as it is, uh, where you can find the goblin races uh, and their elk. To the extreme west is another kingdom, uh, which is predominantly light forest territory and plain territory, which is another human kingdom. If you're looking at the basis for these kingdoms and like comparison for them to be compared to with modern nation-states or historical nation-states that we are familiar with, that your average person be familiar with, the nation-state that I'm talking to you now, this far western nation-state that lives in this plainy, light forest area, is much more of a French nation-state, you know, old-school French nation-state, very knightly-type people. I've, I've discussed them briefly in a previous podcast when I mentioned the trolls, I believe. They all kind of interact there a lot. But overall, my story will encompass that larger territory that is the kingdom and briefly going across the continent to these other territories. But the very, very important detail of that southern desert and then southern ocean territory comes in quite handy since there is a very important southern continent. If you're, again, a person who studies the geography and keeps those kind of things in mind, Think again. Uh, you're thinking we should be more along the lines of Europe and Africa, and not North America and South America, because at least with North America and South America, there is a bit more of a connection via you know Central America, Mexico, and all that area. Whereas with my storyline, if you fully separate Africa away from Europe, widening those couple of gaps so that you know it's kind of difficult to get across where it's, you know, hundreds of miles instead of dozens or scores of miles, you'd have a little bit more of an idea of how separate these two continents are and how the peoples on them are a little bit more separated, a little bit different physiologically, mentally, and how their cultures have developed and how their cultures sometimes clash and, you know, or as sometimes happens, sometimes they start getting along, uh, depending on how people in those kingdoms are doing, as we all know historically. If you're not doing well in your own place, you're going to look to people who are doing better and want their stuff. That's fairly typical in my settings. This My story does also span the seasons, so you will get to see how spring, summer, fall, winter do affect the way people work in the kingdoms, which does tie very much into the adaptive religion that I am going to be portraying in this storyline via the practices of the peasants versus the practices of the 
merchant class versus the practices of the nobility, which also are mildly separate from the practices of the Magi class or the ruling dynasty class. So you have all these different inter-issues that you always make a story very interesting, in, at least in my opinion, where all those all those little details, which is a little nuance here, a little nuance there, that if a reader or when a reader picks up on them, adds so much more to the story's volume and to the story's depth that allows the readers to get so much more involved in it. Personally, my favorite times to write are the times where there are issues, but the great thing about a fantasy story is no matter where you are and no matter what season you're in, the season provides great bounty and great problems. I mean, there are sections of the of my territories where they very much prefer a winter setting because they don't have to deal with torrential monsoons. You know, they have, they have a great wet season. Or they prefer, the again, the bitter cold of winter to the blasting heat of summer. Or they prefer the heat of summer in some other section of it to the deep snows and frostbite cold of the winter that just rip people apart from snow blindness and leaving them incapacitated to the various creatures that you will have in those winter settings, the ones that only come out in those times. Some creatures you guys might see in my stories will be quite traditional creatures. You might see something akin to a yeti. You might see something akin to an ogre in one way or another. I've already mentioned that I have great plans for trolls, which are a race that many people see in positive lights or in major roles apart from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, where they were agents of evil. I definitely don't view them as entirely agents of evil, but I get to explore them as seeing them as pure agents of evil as some people would see them because they are so hideously large and monstrous or as, you know, someone's like, that is an interesting thing. I have never seen it before. What is it? And then it tries to kill you. And then, so you, you start off neutral, then you get bad feelings or it saves your life because something else was trying to kill you. So I get to explore all those various types of areas in the story, which really, really entertain me and get, keep me going with how my story is progressing. Along other lines, I'm getting a much more deeper involvement with how well and how closely tied people's civilizations and people's cultures are tied very much to their territory. With the rich nobility, they can move around. They have the money. They can move from this castle to this keep to this city, and they can enjoy what their wealth, what the wealth they have accumulated, or rather the wealth that they have taken from the peasant class. But as in most peasant societies, the peasants are so much tied to their land that if they chose to up and leave, all they really could carry is what's on their backs. And they have so much to lose with if they were to leave their plot of land that they are required or encouraged or desiring to work that they will deal with the severe loss and all those issues season after season purely because they have no other choices. Or you would see from the territory where my main character grew up, it is a it's a border territory. There's very much a difference between the border settlements of the Empire to where they are going to be raided by unfriendly neighbors, the goblin tribes being the highest, to the inner villages where they have to deal with occasional bandits, but they are close enough where they will see 
soldiers from the Imperial Army to the from the major cities patrolling their areas. Their roads are actually paved. They're not just dirt roads that get mudded out every spring or every winter. So those differences as well, you know, you have these clashes that the setting itself requires to have happen because some people are tougher, are seen as being tougher or wilder than others, depending on which way you are. Some people are viewed as being the fat, soft belly people of the Empire, or to those who are moderately well-off and not a little bit more civilized than their counterparts at some other part of the Empire. And then you get to also see the differences between those who live in the northern climes to the southern climates, since, you know, some will be wearing lighter clothing and they won't really understand what you do when frozen water rains from the sky. And to those who come from an area where it quite possibly is saturated with water, there are rivers, there are ponds, there are streams, and there are brooks everywhere. And you can just go get water whenever you want to where they get into a more desert area. And there is absolutely no weather whatsoever, except for whatever your horse or camel happens to be carrying. Another thing that my writers will also see is a little bit more of an intricate knowledge on my part to other types of uses for certain animals that people aren't really used to seeing in fantasy stories. Everyone's quite used to seeing your knight on your horse. But in the wintertime, if you have a couple feet of snow on the ground, horses are kind of useless in certain situations. So one of the things I will also be adding into my stories from the setting is you will actually see the transformation of having cavalry who are developed and grown and trained in a desert climate and seeing how well they can prosper in the frozen northern climates. Because for those of you who understand this, there were camels fighting in frozen climates in parts of Russia, and they were fighting on top of snow. So if you can imagine a camel on fighting on top of snow, that was indeed a thing at some point. And I'll be portraying that at certain points in my story for my characters to experience that and see that kind of difference and see those kind of changes that we, that fantasy readers and fantasy authors aren't truly tapping into. Because there are certain consistencies that we all have, that we all follow. You know, we all have our wonderful knight on horseback and then we, you know, what kind of horse it is, the size of the horse and what weapons he's carrying tend to change, but he's just still a guy on horseback. So putting some knights on camels and then having the devastating charge of a useful cavalry charge in the middle of winter would be something that people aren't going to be used to. And it's going to be a quite wonderful shock for my readers to experience that kind of change from my character's standpoint, and then from the reader's standpoint, because it's not something they have experienced before. Taking on from that point will also be the other kind of entertainment I have taken into changing and creating new kinds of life and how they function into these kind of wonderful environments that I am having. Everyone is quite used to having dwarves being the mountain race, and they dig down deep into the mountains. But one of my elven societies is a mountain race as well. And so the readers will get to see how there can be different types of mountain-dwelling societies. One that lives in the mountains, again, that would be my dwarves. I am, I'm going to stick with that kind of stereotype because I personally love those kind of dwarves. It's just my type of dwarf. If I toss them down a mountain, I'll toss them down a mountain. But I like those type of underground dwarves. 
to the type of societies developed by this elven faction who don't live in the happy-go-lucky trees, or they don't live in the swamps. You know, they're not in Markwur, not in Lothlorien. They're going to be on the side of mountains. They're going to be building magnificent keeps. They're going to be building, you know, high towers. And they're going to have this ver- a very different type of magic and society because of that simple fact that there are quite literally no useful trees on the side of these mountains. So they have to shape something else. They have to develop societies that will benefit and grow and not stagnate in those kind of settings and areas. Okay, thank you, Paul, for that. Well, I'm not going to say exhaustive, because exhaustive makes it sound like that was pretty long and <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> but but there, there was a lot to cover there. I try right? to keep it to the time limit, because I have been known to battle, so you know i got to make sure that I have something to say for next podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, uh, I, I keep track of all the time as we're going through this, because we do try to keep each episode to about 30 minutes, and we don't want to cut out any announcements we have to make. But also, I don't want to cut out the times when we're just talking. And in fact, when it first got posted, Podomatic told me that file was corrupted. I tried it again, but I accidentally posted the raw, mostly edited version without the music or the the closing for the first like day it was out, it was actually in a much more raw version. I was able to finally get the original, you know, the the final one posted. So now it is June 2015. So just to give you an update of what's going on for the rest of the month. Of course, uh, there will be another episode of the Passion on the Page podcast coming out on June 15th, and that will feature uh, is 21 creative Philip J. Sipkoff reading, reading one of the poems from his. Book of Poetry, Early Thoughts of a Young Man. We also have our Creative Speaking video series. The next episode will post on Sunday, June 14th, featuring Deepan Chatterjee in his introductory video of the series. The day before that, Saturday, June 13th, is a book fair in Columbia, Maryland. It was called Ready for Reading. I believe the name of it changed. But it's just a small local book fair in Columbia, Maryland where AS21 will be there, but be there representing Dr. Chatterjee as he lives in Columbia and that he is the featured author at the event. So, of course, if you had a chance to catch up with us last month, we were at the Gaithersburg Book Festival in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And we look to be getting out more in the fall with the Fall for the Book Festival in Fairfax, Virginia, and the Western Maryland Independent Lit Festival in Frostburg, Maryland. And then uh, finally, on the 21st of the month, we have a monthly Q&A webcast where uh, I take questions on writing, publishing, marketing, any questions you might have. If you're a self-published author, if you're, uh, that's Ask AS21 on the 21st, so check that out. And one final thing, ask for your support. On Memorial Day, AS21 launched our latest Kickstarter campaign. This year's is entirely meant to support the second edition of the AS21 Annual, our yearly literary magazine. We are seeking to raise $1,200, and the campaign will be running until July 24th. The money raised will go towards paying the cost of, of printing and editing the magazine. The reason we decided to do a Kickstarter is the focus this year is we want to 
in increase the size of the magazine from our first edition, increase the number of people contributing, and also be able to, when we have sales, give a larger amount will go towards actually paying the content creators, paying the people who contribute to the magazine. This year, with the support of this Kickstarter campaign, we're hoping that the $12 price, 90% of that $12 will be divided up amongst the contributors. So the more copies we sell, the more money will go to those so that we could pay these wonderful artists for their work. And of course, the annual, we open submissions on August 1st, looking for poetry, short stories, essays, excerpts from pre-published work, photography, and art. So if you have something that you would like to contribute, there is no fee to submit. If it's a written material, we have our editorial staff will look it over and we'll do a free review to work with you to make sure that your work is in the best condition when it goes out. And then at the end of September, we will release the second AS21 annual. And hopefully we are currently planning on having a launch event in the beginning of October at a local DC area, either bookstore or library, where we will invite anyone local who has contributed, including our AS21 creatives or anyone else, to come out and read from the pieces that were submitted so that we can promote the annual, promote our creatives, promote those who have submitted promote their work. So right now visit kickstarter.com and search for AS21, AOIS21, and you'll find our campaign. It's called uh, AS21 Annual 2015, the sequel. Try to raise $1,200. Uh, our rewards are based upon, so we're crowdfunding the annual. It's open submissions, all genres. So we're also crowdsourcing what's coming together for the annual. Of course, at $5 you get an electronic copy at ten dollars you get a print copy if you give a hundred dollars you could be on the review board that helps decide of what of the submissions come in what gets actually included in the magazine and if you donate two hundred and ten dollars you could be one of our final reviewers where you get to see the magazine in its finished version before it goes to the printer and you get to read all the stories you get to look over everything and have your own impact on the final design and the look of the magazine. This is a totally inclusive process. We want to get as many contributors as possible, both monetary contributors and content contributors. And then, of course, reward everyone for their contribution. Please, if you can, take time to visit Kickstarter and uh, help us out. I would greatly appreciate it. All right, and uh, so that wraps up the June 2015 edition of the Publish Me podcast, Chapter 3, The Settings. Next month, Chapter 4. Not going to announce it specifically right now because it's not official yet, but looking to have something special for you all. So you're just going to have to check back on Tuesday, July 7th, 2015, right after the July 4th holiday. For AS21 Publishing, I'm Keith F. Shovlin. And I'm Paul Dickinson-Russell. Wherever there are ideas and thoughts, there are stories. Thank you all again. We'll see you guys next month. Copyright 2015, AS21 Publishing, LLC. All rights reserved. AS21 Publishing. 
What do you want your book to be?